Two times, Trans Am, Chris Dyson joining us here in the Freak Nation, Lucas Oil Studios. 22 years of doing this thing, Freak Nation, and Dyson's been in here a number of times. Never from uh, the video element. Good to see him in here wearing that snappy lid because it's minus 26 degrees in downstate New York. Uh, and Chris Dyson, look, let's get into a couple things here. You've got now your two-time Trans Am champion. Do you party twice as hard after your second championship? I partied twice as hard after my second IMSA championship, but I'm so much lamer now. Uh, at this point, it's uh, it's about just recovering after the the full season. Uh, I'm much more boring than I was back in my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the little preamble that we had prior to this, you're not boring at all, my friend. Chris Dyson, two-time Trans Am champion, joining us here in the Freak Nation. And you brought up IMSA and, of course, Trans Am. And I know there's a price difference in there when you run Trans Am versus IMSA. And that might be one of the reasons why a lot of drivers are headed to Trans Am. Is, is the price difference to run a full season uh, in IMSA that much different than running a full season in Trans Am? I think they're, I think they're completely complementary but different sides of the road racing coin, to be honest. Uh, you know, the... I think the Trans Am, you know, has a very strong identity for being the preeminent kind of sprint race format, uh, the, uh, clearly one of the most historic series, the longest running uh, road racing series in the U.S. Um, I think that it's they've always been differentiated enough that, uh, you know, there's there's value in both. I mean, obviously, from a team standpoint, we've been there the last five years. It's been great. And uh, we've really enjoyed the competition. Um, you know, the, the IMSA program is, is much more uh, commitment financially, um, logistically, uh, you know, personnel, uh, obviously because of it being 24 hour race, 12 hour race formats. Um, and, you know, it's, it's also heavily, heavily manufacturer backed and influenced now. Uh, I think that when you look at what makes IMSA work, it's the manufacturers. I think in Trans Am, you know, uh, a lot of teams are, are making it work. Uh, but it's really on the merits of the series. It's not with the uh, manufacturer subsidy right now. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that, uh, you know, there's room for everybody. And obviously you look at the car counts for both. It's a pretty strong time for road racing right now. Yeah, I like that. There is room for both. But to what do you credit Trans Am's recent, I'd say maybe what in the last three or so years, really rise to success Fan base wise, popularity wise, and driver count wise, it seems like at Coda the last two years we've been reading record number of entries, and people are really back into the Trans Am series like they were back in the day, so to speak. To what do you credit that success? So I think that it's always been terrific racing. Uh, you know, it's and and I would say that the biggest thing is just having a consistent schedule, a consistent rule book. Uh, you know in essence, repeatable budgets, uh, from a participation standpoint, and it's having the live stream, it's having additional media footprint. Uh, and it's, it's got the brand equity. I mean, I have to say, I mean, in my racing career, very, it still surprises me, but I tell people I race in the Trans Am just, you know, folks at baseball games and all the stuff here in, in the Dutchess County area, I tell them I'm racing in the Trans Am. It has tremendous name recognition. It's because it's been around for you know half a century, and the format's never changed. So uh, I think all those reasons, and you know, I think that bringing the schedules together with the SVRA to get us on all the great tracks right around the same schedule every year, 
Uh, I think it's 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 hitting on a lot of uh, positives right now, and the cars are spectacular. Uh, you know, the, the the racing is is tremendous, and and you know, I, I think Trans Am is the last bastion of kind of that unadulterated, uh, you know, unapologetically high performance racing that excited me as a kid, and uh, it's it's definitely got a, a strong identity. And you know, the fact of the matter is, you go to these races, and you're you're watching, you know, our cars. Eight to nine hundred horsepower, spitting flames, hundred and ten decibels. Uh, it makes an impression, and and I think that the fact that there's been great great teams that have continued to enter, terrific drivers who can you know are coming in and out of very high level forms of racing and competitive competing you know and holding their own wherever they go. Uh, it's an exciting time, and I think that the, it resonates with the fans. Yes, it does. It is. It's really fun again. It makes all of racing fun again. I mean, clearly you guys are competitive out there, but there's a fun aspect that let's say the NASCARs of the world and the Indy cars of the world don't have right now. You guys are just it, from the outside looking in, seeming like you're having fun, you're balls to the wall. And like you said, people appreciate the purity, but also just the, the fierceness of this series. Well, uh, we're not curing cancer when we go <laughs> race. Let's face it. Right. Uh, you know, and, but it's, it's also to the fact I look, I think I have a lot of friends that are racing Indy cars. I got a lot of friends that are racing IMSA, uh, you know, and, and I'm not going to really knock NASCAR cause I think the racing is, you know, is tremendous all the way through. I mean, I did a Xfinity race this year. I can't wait to do more of them actually. I, what I like about it though, is that it knows what it is. Um, and you know, the, the, that there's something to be said for, being in a series that's not searching for an identity, it's not searching for a way to make itself valuable. It believes in itself, and the paddock camaraderie is is excellent. Uh, I think that has a lot to do with the the fact that it's you know it's accessible from an entrance standpoint. You don't need huge crews. Um, it's not overly corporatized, and I think there's a lot of great elements of the DNA of racing there. But you know, come come the green flag. Uh, you know, it's as serious as, as you can get. And I think that, you know, the fact that it's a, a race series where, you know, it's not manufacturer dominated, it's not the, the scourge of BOP is not uh, taken over. It means that, you know, you get a shot to win and you got to do your best, but no one's getting an unfair advantage. Wow. Chris Dyson, two-time ALMS champion, two-time Trans Am champion, I've asked you before about flame spitting and the, the overlap in your cam and how your flames leap five feet out of your Mustang. Do you want to tell the uh, freak nation about that or should we just go on and uh, let me go on to the rest of my questions? No, Bill, you can rhapsodize all you want. I mean, <laughs> let, let, look, it's spectacular. You know, you've got, you've got loud cars that are uh, making an impression. They're making an impression on everybody who's watching them. And uh, the TV, the live stream, I think does it some justice, but training, standing track side, it, you know, it's, there's very few cars that can kind of emotionally grab hold of you in the way a Trans Am car does. And, and, you know, I mean, I remember the first time I went and saw an F1 race. I remember the first time I saw, you know, Indy cars race in the nineties, the sound, you know, the, the, the way it kind of hits you and then the visuals of massive acceleration. And like you said, you know, the flames, I mean, I think that's, you know, and everyone always talks about the flames in the eighties, you know, clearly that's not the most economic, fuel economical way to go racing, but damn, it looks cool. 
you know, the, the space ball is the flamethrower, right? The kids love it, right? Yeah. It, it, yeah. Is, it is that kind of level of excitement. And uh, it's, uh, it's one of those things that there's nothing manufactured about it. It's entirely organic. It's, it's, what, it's what it is. So, Chris Dyson, the championships you won in the, uh, both series in the ALMS and in Trans Am, is there any similarities between the two? You The prototypes in ALMS and the, these big belching sedans that fire-breathing <laughs> fire breathing monsters in Trans Am, any similarities between winning championships in those two different series? Well, the cars change, but the competition and the effort never do. Uh, and, you know, the the level of preparation that you need uh, to bring to the fore, you know, as a team, as a driver, uh, I'd say that's similar. I mean, look, I think both were, are the respective pinnacles of their disciplines. And, you know, there's something very meaningful about doing well in that field and uh, succeeding there. And that is that, you know, people put value in winning races and winning championships. And, you know, I don't, you know, I I've got, I've got four children, you know, it, it's sort of like picking championships is like picking kids. You know, they're all, they're all important and they're all meaningful in their own way. And I, I, that's not a political answer. It's the truth. Uh, you know, I mean, the fact is, is that, you know, going to an ALMS race in 2003, or, you know, 2011 was as big a deal as going to a Trans Am race now. And, you know, I know the guys in the shop are working just as hard now as they did then. Uh, it, it's, it's meaningful and th it's exciting. I, I, I think one of the things that I really view my career as being totally like blessed is the fact that, you know, what I've been doing is, is, is not only what I want to be racing, but it's cool during the time that I'm doing it. And I'm not saying that because it's conceit, but I, I really do think that it's been, you know, phenomenal timing to be involved in series like the ALMS was then or the Trans Am now where it's not only really relevant, but it turns people on. So you race Bentleys in World Challenge and the Trans Am, these just fire breathing monsters. I keep going back to that. There can't be any similarity between those two, can there? Um, well, you know, I have to say the racing in both was, you know, is and was very, very fierce, Bill. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, we don't write the rules. We just come to drive the cars. And, uh, you know, the, the level that was in the Pirelli World Challenge in 2014-15 when we were there was, you know, phenomenally competitive. That was really a high watermark for GT3 racing, you know, sprint racing in this country. And, uh, you know, we were really honored to do what we did with Bentley there. And, the the discipline the actual driving is different i mean obviously the gt3 cars had how so wait i'm cutting you off for a reason there because that sort of leaped out at me how is the driving different uh i can say that handling a monster i had a driver once tell me that it wasn't like holding a, a whip and a chair to hold the car off it was like the car was holding the whip and the chair to to fight the driver off is that the the difference between uh, driving a Bentley and uh, driving a fire-breathing Mustang? You definitely feel in the Trans Am car like you're attached to a missile most of the time and that you are taming the beast. Uh, you know, the the GT3 cars continue to be, you know, incredibly efficient aerodynamically 
they're laden with uh, really nice driver aids like traction control and you know paddle shifts and ABS. Trans Am cars, you know, very much I, I would say the opposite in insofar as that it's way more power than grip, and it's you know my foot is the traction control, you know my left foot is the ABS. And I've got to make the gear changes work. I mean, races have been won and lost over, you know, the missed shifts or poorly executed shifts. That puts a lot back on me and on, on all of us that are driving Trans Am cars to execute. And I think that's a premium that a lot of those driver aids, um, you know, uh, you know, overrule a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the rolling speed in the GT3 cars in the slow speed corners especially was absolutely higher. Um, but the Trans Am cars, they have a lot more performance than you think from a chassis standpoint. And, you know, the lap times that we're doing are pretty damn impressive and it's not just horsepower. You know, we were, give you a case in point, we were at Daytona like three years ago. And I think my best lap would have put me, my pole lap would have put me, I think like third on the GTE grid, which is the highest level at the time, highest level version of like the Le Mans style racing. That's fast. Uh, and that's not just coming from going really fast on the straights. It's it's coming from really good cornering performance. That's only gotten better with Pirelli coming up with a terrific tire for this year. You know, we're running on the same sort of 18-inch family uh, that they that they utilize for their entire platform. And that brought, you know, their construction and their compound expertise really from Formula One into Trans Am. And that's made us break track records everywhere this year. The one final question, Chris, and I don't know if you want to answer this or not. I don't know how political this is, but there was some hazing that was going on when you first came into Trans Am. Uh, has <laughs> obviously that stopped because they can't catch you now. But <laughs> is that was that an issue then, and is it an issue now for new guys that are coming into the series? Well, Bill, I can't say that I was like bringing Ernie Francis breakfast or, uh, you know, uh, having to do any, you know, uh, pantomime rituals or anything like that. So not that I'm a fraternity guy or anything, but I was. Uh, so I'm familiar with the term. I, I, we did a lot of self-hazing the couple, first couple years we were in the series. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think was uh, the biggest adjustment to racing in the Trans Am was you know, really the fact these are makers cars and, you know, all the way through they're they're bespoke cars that are built for the teams. And there, you know, when you get the kind of forces we're putting through drivetrains and all the ancillaries, there's a level of, you know, team preparation, team engineering that has to go into the Trans Am cars and the Trans Am racing that you can't underestimate. I don't think we underestimated it. We just had, you know, some real, you know, cold face reality of unreliability. We were always fast. We were always fighting for wins, but what was taking us out of championship contention was niggling issues. Uh, the, the thing that's most gratifying about the last couple of years is we dialed those out and we started getting results uh, along the lines of what our pace always suggested we could do. And, you know, for me, you know, a lot of people say, Hey, you're winning lots of races. As far as I'm concerned, we lost the first three championships. We've won. We've won the last two. We've still got at least another one to reset the scales, and that's what we're working on for 2023. Hey, Dyson, <laughs> happy holidays to you, buddy. Uh, better, better stay on your game because you're right. You got a lot of people clipping at your heels for that championship, buddy. 
yeah, it's great, guys. You know, I'm just so thrilled to be competing. And, uh, you know, for a couple of years there when I wasn't driving, something was missing. And for the last five, it's been phenomenal. And I'm, I'm just excited to keep it rolling. Freak Nation, his name, Chris Dyson, two-time Trans Am champion here in the Freak Nation. Thank you, buddy. All right, guys. Thank you. See ya. Peace.